you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Romans 8. It says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God and thank you, Steph. Good morning, everybody. How are we doing this morning? We're we chipper, we're up and about, had a good sleep. Everybody online, you might still be asleep. Please wake up and join us. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in and thanks to everyone who has joined us this morning, uh, coming down today. Uh, by way of catching up, everybody, uh, we have been going this weekend through uh, a series of sessions around the images that the Bible describes us as uses to illustrate who we are as the church. And so we had a very brief look at us being the temple of God. Yesterday morning, we talked about being the bride of Christ. Last night, we were the body of Christ. And today, we're going to look at what it means to be the family of God. And just for those tuning in online, we in the hall are going to be celebrating communion uh, at the end of this sermon. So if you want to join in, and you're more than welcome to, uh, please grab those elements uh, now. Well, we're going to land the plane on the teaching. Actually, before we do, this is given the last session, we should uh, celebrate those who have made these sessions possible because it's our last chance. Uh, why don't we put our hands together for Pat and Nat, the Pat-Nat duo, led phenomenally, but also for the band each session, also for Anna organising the community event. Thank you, Anna. Thanks to everyone who's made each of these sessions possible. Has it been a good camp? Should we do it again? We're actually going to have one next weekend, so come, come back next weekend. But let's dive into the family of God. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for this opportunity to come before your word. And we just ask, Holy Spirit, would you come? And Would you come and, and fill us and open our eyes to how this image that you use in the Bible that we would be the family of God, that we would be adopted into your family, that you might use that to uh, give us insight, but more than that, to transform us and to uh, help us uh, relax into the goodness that it is to call you our Father and to be a part of your family. And so make it real uh, for us this morning. And as we leave this camp, Lord, will we leave knowing uh, that we are your people, we are your family. So come and impress that upon us by your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, we, I hope you uh, realize, have been uh, hearing some incredible realities this weekend uh, as we've looked through the scriptures at some of these major images. Uh, sometimes it's good to kind of have a look at the selfie or have a look in the mirror. To, to grow in self-awareness of, of, of who you actually are, what you, how, how you actually come across, what you actually look like. And that is, in a sense, what God has done in providing us all this revelation, because it's not just kind of 
uh, as if humans have just kind of written stuff about themselves in the Bible. God has, through them, revealed who we are to us. And so God's given us a bit of a, a mirror to show us who we are. And so we've seen that we are the bride of Christ, that we are the body of Christ, that we are the family of God. And it's helpful uh, to notice that, that we're, we're also not looking at, at modern ideas that we've come up with, but that these images were first written to the church some 2,000 years ago, and that they remain true and is relevant even today. And so they aren't modern ideas about the church. And that is encouraging if we pause to consider that, that, that God doesn't have a, a love-hate relationship with his people. But it's actually been consistent because it was true that the church in the first century was the bride, the body, the family. And it's true that the church in the 21st century is the bride, the body. He hasn't, he hasn't left us. He hasn't changed who we are or how he feels about us. As we heard about yesterday morning, his, his love is steadfast and abounding. And yet don't often we so often have a love-hate relationship with things. One of my love-hate relationships is with McDonald's fast food in general. Because don't you, you see it there on the, the advertisement, the promo, and it's all like, it takes them like two hours to stack a Big Mac to make it look how it looks. And it's not actually a Big Mac because it's like hard and, and crispy and stuff like that. And then you, you buy one because it looks good. And then you eat it and the sauce is dripping out the back and it makes you kind of, kind of all, all red with sauce all over. And, it, and it's just not the same. And then 10 minutes after eating it, what you first loved, you now hate. Now, there was a time in my life where I had a really... Uh, kind of I'm loving it relationship with McDonald's because I had a, a, a friend who was also a colleague, I worked with him, and he won a competition with McDonald's. There was a, a competition many years ago for someone to name this burger that they had. And he was one of the, win the winners of the people who, who named, I think, the Backyard Burger, which was, this was about 15 years ago. And the problem was that, that there were multiple people who, who put that name forward. And so he was one of the winners. And so he didn't get to take home the car. They had to split the prizes and he drew the short straw. But the short straw meant that he got a McDonald's gold card. I don't know if anyone has heard of this McDonald's gold card, but it is like way better than the secret black American Express card that, that kind of gets you into all the exclusive places. The McDonald's gold card gives you free Maccas for a year. As much as you want. And so... I became good friends with him over this year. Uh, the, the, the kind of the rules behind the car, really the only rule was that you could spend up to $30 in any one transaction with McDonald's. So you know how McDonald's, they're not they're very far away from each other. So there were some Friday nights that you could go on a tour of McDonald's and, and everybody was happy because everybody would get their $30 worth. And, and we, we kind of, where we worked together was, was in youth ministry. And so the youth ministry budget was sorted for the whole year because we had McDonald's for the year. And I remember the one particular time that, that, that I got to hold it and I got to use it. In it. And, and I, I walked up to this McDonald's with the gold card and, and ordered what I wanted and it came time to me and I, and I flashed the card. And, and what happened was that even the McDonald's employees don't know about this gold card. And they're like, oh, where, where did you get this card from? And they, the, the girl that I, over the other side of the check said, hey, everybody, come look at this. And so all the staff descended upon to look at this gold card, crowded around, asking, how did, how did you get this? And, and ooing and, and ahhing at the card. And so that card, for a brief moment, changed my life. 
Because in that moment, I was the man. I had clout. I, had, I, could, I could ask for whatever I wanted, and I got it with that card. And so I had this unbelievable privilege and access at McDonald's with this gold card. Now, can you imagine that feeling of just feeling like you, you, you can have what you want, you, you've got this access and privilege? And I bring that up to transition to tell you that that feeling of access and privilege you do indeed have with something better than the golden arches. And this is where we transition to this image today, that we are the family of God, because this theme that we're going to look at in this text that has been read out for us points us to the reality that we have an access, we have an intimacy, we have a relationship, and we have access to imperishable spiritual blessings that are going to last forever, Ephesians tells us, with God himself. And so we're going to talk about that image. Uh, let me read again the passage. It's a short one, so we can, we can double up on it. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 14 through to 17. Let me remind us what it says. It says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. And so here we have this gold card of Christianity. The reality of adoption. And it's good to remember uh, the, the context behind this few verses that we're reading, that it comes in, in the book of Romans. And there's probably other verses that are very familiar to you in Romans, like all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Or that, that no one is righteous, no one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside. Romans is, is very brutal in telling us the reality about ourselves. And it's that very same book that Paul gets to chapter 8 and tells us those very same people who have all fallen short, us, can actually come to this God who we have turned away from and call him Daddy, call him Abba, Father. And so the first great truth, I'll continue with the, the same theme of pulling out what is, the, what is the actual reality behind the image that we're looking at and then seek to apply it to our communal life today. The first great truth is, is, is very simple. It comes out of the text. God is your Father. God is your Father. Theologian J.I. Packer, he says this, Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his or her father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls their worship and prayers and whole outlook on life, it means that they do not understand Christianity very well at all. So our grasp of this reality, that God is your father, is the, the, the litmus test for whether we actually do indeed understand the gospel. Because if our answer to whether we are a Christian or not is, well, I'm trying. Or when I was a kid, my answer was, uh, sometimes. If that's our answer, it, it reveals that actually we don't get it. The penny hasn't dropped yet. Because Christianity is the good news about not just as great as it is, having our past forgiven and being restored to, to net zero, being restored to kind of neutrality, but having our whole status before God 
changed. That we are adopted into his family, going from strangers to sons. And there's a particular story Jesus tells that, that illustrates this uh, even more profoundly. Uh, you might know it as the story of the prodigal son or the story of the, the two sons. Yet really we get even more insightful uh, insights, if that's a phrase, I don't know, uh, by looking at the father and not so much the sons. Because in Luke 15, Jesus is telling this story about things that are lost and then uh, found. And he tells a story about uh, two sons, and one of them wants his inheritance today. And so he asks his father, hey, can I have my inheritance? And, and obviously at the time, and even now today, that would be very offensive. He's essentially saying, hey, uh, I'd love to live as if you had already died. And he takes what is his, and he goes off to a foreign country, and he squanders his inheritance, and he lives uh, kind of a, a promiscuous life, and he wastes it all, and he gets into the, the lowest point that he possibly could, and he, we're told, comes to his senses at that bottoming-out bottom moment. And he starts to head back home. And the story tells us, Jesus says in, in Luke 15, that he, he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe. Put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. And so as the son had that bottoming out moment and that kind of repentance moment, I'm going to go back to the father, he still yet hadn't got it because he was still operating out of a mentality that, hey, I'm going to come and be your servant. I'm going to come and, and work for it, be a hired hand, be an employee. And the father seems to just ignore the misconceptions of the son. And instead, the father has the best brought for him, covers him with the best robe as if restoring the position of his son, puts a, a ring on his finger, which perhaps in the time may have been the, the family signet ring to identify him as, as being now back as part of the, his family, restored to his full place as his son. And then very interesting, interestingly, the father says, my son who was dead is now alive. But, but we know full well that the, the son wasn't dead. But what had died was his status as a son. And now that he was coming back, he would be re-embraced as a son to be alive again. And so that, having returned to the Father, isn't about kind of, hey, how good it is that we can talk again. And let's celebrate that. It's not merely how good it is that that, that awkward history between us has now been put to bed. It's not that the disappointment has been covered over. No, they're celebrating that his status has been restored that he is now a son. And unlike an employee where if you don't perform or if you break the code of conduct or you mess up in, in some way, you're fired. As a son, he can't lose his status. In fact, perhaps it's like some of our families, that, that, that if your kids do the wrong thing, you want to get closer to them. You want to come up alongside them to encourage them out of that, to be nearer to them because they need more love and more care. And so Jesus tells this story to remind the religious that, that this is how the Father, God himself, feels about all who would come and put their trust in him. And so you and I are sons. And there's a deep security to being sons. 
And I mentioned yesterday the, the, the image of the bride might make the men think, oh, hang on. And there might be women here and you think, oh, hang on, am I a son or a daughter? And I think there's, there's a good reason just to double-click on that, that word there, son, because it's actually not about uh, our agenda, but rather the status that we have. Because if we, if we zoomed back 2,000 years ago, we'd see that it was about a particular position in the ancient world. It was a big deal that we need to try to bring in to our understanding here of adoption. Because in the ancient world, the, the firstborn son was responsible for continuing the family name and they were responsible for continuing the family business. And in both of those things, they were being entrusted to essentially, you are now taking care of the, the family household. Because their inheritance wasn't just kind of receiving some, some added bonus disposable income to add to their already significant wealth. Their inheritance was to take all their means of production, their land, and now steward it. And so to be the firstborn son was to essentially be born into an investment banking role within the family. And so it's interesting to read the, the fuller language around that very famous passage that we turn to again and again, particularly in our left and right series in Galatians 3. It says in verse 26, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ... There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. And so Paul's saying that irrespective of your, your race, your gender, your class, in Christ you receive this privilege. In Christ, the most important status about you is your status as a son of God. You have that privilege, you have that access, you also have that responsibility. Jesus reminds us of the fatherhood of God throughout his ministry. He says, look at the birds. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Your heavenly Father feeds them and how much more precious to him are you than them? Now, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Jules and I went on a date uh, rock climbing. There have been a couple of months of me kind of trying to G Jules up for, hey, let's, let's go rock climbing together. Uh, she wasn't keen on it, but then it was the week of Father's Day, uh, and so she was. Thanks, darling. Uh, and so we, we went to the local indoor rock climbing center uh, there in Nutterwadding, uh, and, and I discovered why she wasn't initially uh, keen on, on going rock climbing. Uh, because many of you know that if you go indoor rock climbing, you, you know, there's, everyone has to play a role. You've got the rock climber, and then down on the bottom, you've got a, a belayer. And the belayer is a sense that the, the foundation of the safety of the, the rock climber who is climbing the rocks, because you've got to continue to, to pull that rope so that if the person rock climbing falls, they're going to be caught by the rope. And so Jules, to her credit, when she was rock climbing, was like Spider-Woman, just, just up there, incredible. Jules, well done, darling. <laughs> now, when she was a belayer... It was a bit, of a, a bit of a different story because I was the one rock climbing and, and, and I would uh, climb up there and, and obviously because kind of your safety is contingent on how well the belayer is, is, is belaying, it, it, was, it was particularly uh, not reassuring, whatever the opposite of, is of reassuring, to, to look down and, and see Jules uh, not looking up but just looking down doing this uh, because she was so nervous and anxious about what was happening up there and whether it would hold if I fell. My life was in her hands. And you know, it, it doesn't add a lot of confidence. 
when you look down to see that the, the, the foundation of your safety and where you sit or where you stand is themselves very shaky uh, and not particularly confident. And so this is the beauty of this reality of being adopted into God's family. Your heavenly Father has you. Here we have a, a foundation that means we are eternally, always, completely safe, secure, loved through thick or thin forever because you have this status as a son. There is someone who has your back, who knows all you need, who celebrates that you are his and who is firm, steadfast to be a foundation for us. And so that reality that God is your father then naturally changes our horizontal relationships, how we relate to one another. Because when you have God in your father, naturally it flows, doesn't it, that in the church, number two, we are brothers and sisters. We are brothers and sisters. There's another moment in the life of Jesus where his own biological family is uh, kind of getting a bit anxious at his rising popularity. And so they head out to where he is uh, teaching and they're outside of the house and they call him to, to come out. And we're told this exchange that while he was speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside also speaking to him, asking to speak to him, sorry. But he replied to the man who told them, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And so adoption into God's family has compelled this idea amongst us as God's people that we are brothers and sisters. And we see this here through the lips of Jesus. We see it elsewhere through the writings in the Scriptures. And we know that through church history, particularly in the, in the ancient days, in the first centuries, that this was such a radical concept that it even it led to, to, to rumors of incest amongst the church because they kept talking to each other about being brothers and sisters. They, they loved each other so well that it was radical. I want to just take a moment just to tease out what it might mean for our communal life that we be brothers and sisters adopted to the same family. And I've been uh, very helped in, uh, by Tim Keller here. Uh, he, he didn't give me a call about it, but, but I've been uh, you know, uh, interacting with his writings, you might say. Uh, and there's four particular uh, points that I think that shape our community life by being a part of the same family. The first is that we should have a radical commitment to one another, a radical commitment to one another. Because the, perhaps the most obvious truth of this image that we are God's family is that we don't choose our family. We, we can't be very selective about our family. We, we arrive into our family. And certainly, we, we can't choose who God determines to show grace to and draw in and welcome into His family. On the one hand, we, we can indeed choose our local church. This is not a cult. You can, you can choose your local church. But once you've chosen, the idea that we are a family, well, it should add and encourage us toward a, a deep, radical commitment to those people who make up our local church. Now, hopefully it doesn't always feel like this for us, but there is a sense in which we, we have to endure our family. We endure dad's awful dad jokes, the corny family traditions, the political disagreements around the dinner table, the parental disappointment. We endure those because when you're family... There's no going anywhere else. You are a family. You are committed to one another. And yes, sometimes 
people become estranged, and maybe this, this whole concept to you is, is weighty and heavy because of the estrangement to your biological family or, or father. But often that's a tragedy because we, we hope and we know that it should be so much more than what it is. And we get that picture and that reality that it can be so much more through this spiritual family we have at the church. We want to be committed to one another. And so hopefully most of the time, that commitment expresses itself in just a a persistent encouragement to one another in each other's lives. That we're not going to distance ourselves from one part of the family because they're having a hard time. We're not going to step back when one part of the family starts to backslide. No, quite the opposite. We pursue one another because they're family. We want to be close to one another, bringing people in, making sure there's no black sheep of the family, but all are encouraged, all are supported. We move toward one another, especially those who need more love. And so we have a radical commitment to one another. Number two is uh, we have a radical transparency with one another. Because when you're committed to one another, when you are family, you have that that safety of being transparent with one one another because there's no threat that some people are going to reject how you reveal yourself to be. In a family, you're in an environment where they know you, warts and all. Sometimes I I share one of the, the great arguments for the resurrection of Jesus is that his biological family, here in this passage I just read in, in Matthew, it's, it's kind of like they're, they're a bit unsure about him, like, Jesus, kind of stop embarrassing us, come talk to us. And yet after the resurrection, his biological family itself started to worship him. And that's a great argument for it actually happening because we are not, if there's anyone we are not going to worship, it is our own biological family because we've seen too much, we've smelt too much, we've, we've been too close to our biological family. But in a church family, because we're not, we're not bound by blood, this is a choice, and so we need to choose to be transparent with one another. And so let me encourage you very practically to, to find a, a small circle of people, a small group of people. I'm, I'm not saying be transparent in front of absolutely everybody, but find a small group of people amongst the church whom you can give the permission to have a disproportionate impact in your life. You give them the permission to, to speak into your life in, in such a way that's going to grow you and encourage you and support you and, and, and challenge you. Because relationships at church shouldn't be relationships that, that happen elsewhere in the world. For example, when we, we're, we're an Aldi family, uh, when I go do the, do the shopping at Aldi, if anyone else is at Aldi, you know that Aldi checkout experience where you get to the, the checkout and, and such is the, the German efficiency that they kind of look at you and go, you know, you, you ready for this? And, and, and you're like, I'm ready because they're going to go fast and, and you're going to be there to catch everything that they scan through. But when I go to the checkout at, at Aldi, it would be a little bit weird if, if the, the checkout person as they're kind of scanning my things, they're like, so what idols do you have a propensity to worship? Should you really be dating that person right now? You know, I heard you on the phone in the, in the special buyer's aisle. Are you sure you should be talking like that to the other person? You know, if, if, someone, if a stranger is going to start poking in to your life like that, you, you probably rightly so go, hang on. Who gave you the, the right to, to, to tell me that? Who gave you the right to, to dig in to my life like that? You're there for a transactional moment. They're providing a service to you. But what we have in the church is by being family, we, we, we can invite people to ask those questions. 
to say those things that we won't, we're not going to hear in the rest of our spheres in life. And so let me encourage you to find a, a committed circle of brothers and sisters, a spiritual family who can speak into your life like that, who can expose us like that, and who can, with the exposure, remind us of God's grace to us in Jesus. And that might be your gospel community, but it also might be a small group in that gospel community. It might be just any group. Gospel communities exist to help facilitate those relationships. But please, encourage a small group of people, uh, whether it be in a GC or not. And that leads to number three, a generous sharing of resources. Being brothers and sisters means we share our resources. We are committed to one another. We are vulnerable with one another. And then because we are, we're going to know what, when people are in need. We know that this marked beautifully that the church in Acts chapter 2, and it was particularly commented on about the early church. In the second century, one Christian sent a, a letter to Diognetus saying about Christians, they dwell in their own countries, but simply as sojourners. As citizens, they share in all things with others and yet endure all things as if foreigners. Every foreign land is to them as their native country and every land of their birth as a land of strangers. They marry, as do all, they beget children, but they do not cast away fetuses. They have a common table, but not a common bed. They are in the flesh, but they do not live after the flesh. And so what he's saying about the Christians, his, his observation of the Christian community is that they were radically detached from the concerns of the world, but then radically attached to the concerns of each other. I'm not sure who exactly came up with the wording uh, first, but I have heard it said before that where the world is, is promiscuous with their bodies and strict with their money, Christians came along and were promiscuous with their money, generously giving it out, and, and strict with their bodies. And so just as a family comes around a family member who's in need as God's family, we should step in to support one another, to help one another, share with one another. Finally, number four, one for us, very practical. It all flows from Sundays. We have that one family moment each and every Sunday. Uh, that is today for us on the Lord's Day. And if we're to be the, the family of God, we should approach that family meeting a little bit differently than we might approach kind of a, a concert or uh, an event or some kind of a community gathering that is different than a family meeting. In those situations, we, we, we kind of go and, 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 and want to perhaps like, like Andy described, like stay on the, on the sidelines, stay in that, that zone of safety and just, just check out what is happening. Just, just receive the, the comfort and the, the entertainment. Rebecca McLaughlin, uh, who I recommend everything she writes, she's, she's fantastic. Uh, she has three rules of engagement for Christians on a Sunday morning. Let me commend them to you for you to think about. The first is that when you rock up on a Sunday why don't we all commit together to see lonely people as an emergency and to run to those who are lonely on a Sunday? That friends can wait. Because we're already friends. We're, we're already connected. And so friends can wait as we embrace those lonely people. And number three, that we could introduce newcomers to somebody else. And so next week, we're all going to get a planning center notification that we are on the welcoming team. Because that not that what God's done by unite us together as the family. That we are all welcoming people to a family occasion, to a family meal, to a family event. And so we should look out, whether it's our job or not. We should be supporting one another. 
so that people who don't get the in-house jokes or the quirky traditions or the family slang don't feel like they're not a part of the family. We want people to feel embraced and included. And so there are four practical ways that we can express that we are brothers and sisters. And so finally, let me land the plane for our teaching this weekend by just reminding us of the bigger picture. We've looked at a lot of pictures this weekend. The temple, the bride, the body, the family. But we need to remember that that these images, you know, images are made to describe something else. They're meant to to point us somewhere. And so God's given us these realities. So we We wouldn't just stay looking at the photo. We wouldn't just stay looking at the image. But we would see behind them the truths that are trying to point us to the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And so I hope you notice that there's, there's, a, there's a thread behind all of these images. Each one of them, they all point us to Jesus. And so all the points that I've been making, you are loved. The point of being the bride. Well, we're loved because Jesus took our place. That you are being prepared as the bride of Christ. Because we're told Jesus is, is changing us. Jesus is washing us with the water of his word. That we are one. Why are we one? We're one because we're united in Christ. That you are needed. Why are you a needed part of the body? Because Jesus has prepared a place for you. Jesus has called you to be a part of his body. You are empowered because Jesus wants to use you for his mission. It hasn't, hasn't rested, hasn't, hasn't been put into uh, the tomb but rather it's empty and his mission is out in the world for us to follow. That God is your father because Jesus reconciles us to the father and that we are brothers and sisters because Jesus is our bigger brother and he calls us his own and he welcomes us into God's family. And so all these things mean that the most important things about you And the most important things about our church are all about Jesus. Because of and about Jesus. That there is nothing that we can do that's going to define us more than the identity of God that defines us. The identity that that God reveals to us in these images. There's nothing lasting in your life that's going to last apart from Jesus. All the things that will last are what's been given to you by him. Everything else will fade away. Everything else will be embarrassing in light of eternity or given more value because of eternity. And so Jesus is the difference. And so we need to uh, land the plane on our camp by, by coming to Jesus, remembering Jesus, lifting up Jesus. And so the best way to do that is the way that he told us to do that. And that's why we're going to share in communion together this morning. Uh, we're going to sing before we do that. And so I'm going to invite you uh, to stand uh, and then we'll sing. And then after the first song, I'll come back up to lead us uh, in communion in a a bit of a unique way this morning on camp. Let me pray uh, as the band comes up. Heavenly Father, we thank you that that those words are not just uh, a nonchalant way or a traditional way that things have always been done to start a prayer. But indeed, you are our Father. And Lord, you are our Father, not because we've earned it, not because we deserve it, but because of your remarkable grace. That you are a God who has 
lent into the world and then even sent your own son into the world. That we might be your bride, that we might be your body, that we might be part of your family. And so help us have hearts that are enlarged to see the beauty of what it means to be adopted into your family. That we might be brothers and sisters together. That you might be our heavenly father. And so be that solid rock that we need, that we might live our lives knowing that you have us, knowing that you're with us, and knowing that you're for us. And come now as we uh, express the unity that we have in Jesus, the sense that we are a family in song. Lord, would you fill our hearts with your Holy Spirit? Overwhelm us with uh, joy at the goodness of your grace to us. And so as we come before your table, Lord, we pray that uh, we would commit by your Spirit to to do away with things that uh, led to your death and embrace the blessing that it is to have you risen and alive and calling us your family. Bless us, we pray. Bind us together, we pray. Minister to us in this moment, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.